Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 45. Today's Daf continues yesterday's discussion of the case of Motsi Shemra, a new husband who claims that the woman he married had sex with another man after having agreed to marry him. If false, the Torah requires the husband to pay a fine and eliminates his power to initiate a divorce. The Torah also says that the court disciplines the husband, Vayisiruoto, which the rabbis understand to mean lashes. For folks who were following the third chapter of Ketubot, this should actually set off some alarm bells. What happened to the principle of Kimle Bidirabamine, that the violator only gets the more severe punishment? Or all of those discussions that we were having about lashes versus monetary payments? Apparently, the Torah here, at least as understood by the rabbis, is carving out its own exception. The discussion we'll look at today, though, is towards the bottom of 45b, and it asks a different question about this legal institution. The Torah introduces the case of Motsi Shemra as follows in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13. When a man takes a woman, and they have intercourse, and he despises her. Now, given that introduction, one one might very well have thought that this accusation could happen only after an initial sexual act of sexual intercourse. Uva aleha. But, in fact, this becomes subject to a Tanaitic debate. Tanarabanan, our sages taught, Hamotzi shemra loke vinotein measela. Someone who charges a woman, and it ends up being false, Hamotzi Shemra, he is lashed, loke, and he gives a hundred, um, a hundred sela, the monetary fine. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, lokot loke mikomakom. Rabbi Yehuda says, in all cases is he lashed. Now, that already is a setup to the fact that there might be a distinction between cases of Motsi Shemra, and that's exactly what Rabbi Yehuda is about to set up. Mayasela ba'al notain lo va'al enu notain. But when it comes to the monetary payment of a hundred sela, only if they had intercourse does he give, but had they not intercourse, he does not have to give the monetary fine. Now, the brightest concern is not addressed explicitly by the Torah, but it is certainly a logical possibility. What if the new husband marries a woman, but before having sex for the first time, someone whispers in his ear that there are witnesses, or maybe even just rumors, that his new bride was seen secluded with another man before the wedding? That, uh, that's the plot of some, uh, some very many melodramatic movie scenes. According to the sages, this doesn't affect the outcome. The man has to pay both the fine and receive lashes whether or not they'd had initial intercourse. In other words, for the sages, the fine is not about somehow compensating for having had sex with her husband, but rather it's about the broader humiliation wrought by these charges, 
which has occurred whether or not she and the man have had sex. Rabbi Yehuda, however, thinks differently. Indeed, the lashes occur no matter what. But if the couple had not had sex, then the husband need not pay the fine. There are two possibilities here for how Rabbi Yehuda is understanding the fine. Either he thinks the fine is compensation for the fact that the woman is now no longer a virgin. Remember, she had been a virgin. The husband accused her of not having been, and it was proved that in fact she was. But they had sex. So if she or her father choose to sever ties with this man, she's going to have a harder time finding a match, especially in a society where virginity is prized. Alternatively, though, maybe Rabbi Yehuda thinks the fine is about deterring false charges, but that the situation that requires a monetary determinant is that set out by the Torah. Only when the husband is displeased by the sex and contrives to force a divorce, those are the cases the Torah wants to punish fully. If you're going to bring that charge, then there's a very, very severe punishment if, if you're lying about it. But if the husband files a claim that there was infidelity before he and the woman have had sex, then there's a possibility that, in fact, the claim is true, or at least it's certainly based on something other than displeasure with the sexual relationship. The Gemara's next move tries to link this debate to one we'll discuss tomorrow. The sages and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov have a dispute over whether the Torah here can legitimately be read to be discussing the case where they haven't had sex. Now, that seems to map cleanly onto this situation. But, with some ingenuity, the Gemara manages to figure out a way to fit this even into the position of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, who thinks that the Torah is only talking about a post-coital charge. In other words, that the Torah itself is only applying these rules after a couple have actually had sex. So here's what the Gemara says. So this debate actually is within the debate of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and the sages, and here's how to understand it. Hamotzi Shemra, someone, the, the man who files these charges, that whether or not the couple has actually had intercourse and files a false claim of infidelity, he is, receives lashes and he gives a hundred sella, and that's just like the position of Rabbanan that we will see tomorrow. Rabbi Huda Omer, and Rabbi Huda lines up perfectly with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, where there's uh, where the lashes take place no matter what, but the fine is only paid in the case where they actually had had intercourse. But here's where the Gemara gets clever. Amre, there's actually another way of understanding this. Kula Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Maybe in fact both the sages and Rabbi Huda are within the position of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Um, and the difficulty there is obviously going to be, um, it sounds like the, the sages are saying that whether or not the couples had sex, he has to, he is, he's beaten and has to pay the money. So the question is, wait a minute, how can that fit with the position that says the, the Torah is only talking about a case where the couple actually has had intercourse? Vahachikamar, here's how to understand it. Hamotzi shemra lo kevenotein meyasela vehushabal that if we actually understand the first clause as only talking about a case where they had had intercourse, then in fact you could make it work like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. And in that case, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, lo kot lo that Rabbi Yehuda 
is saying still that lashes should be imposed whether or not um, whether or not the couple has had sex or not. Now here's the more interesting part, at least for our purposes. Um, the Gemara is going to pick up on that question of Rabbi Yehuda, who says, in fact, lashes are imposed no matter what, whether or not they've had sex, even though the money is limited to situations in which they've had sex. Vesava Rabbi Yehuda lokot lokem komokon. Does Rabbi Yehuda really think that? Um, does Rabbi Yehuda really think that one is lashed no matter whether or not the couple has had sex? Vahatanya, hold on a second. I have a Baraita, another version of this text, in which he says something different. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Baal Loka, Loval, Enoloka. That only if they've had sex is he lashed, but if they haven't had sex, he's not lashed. Now that would make a lot more sense, right? If you actually think that what's going on here is that the Torah is imposing its punishments only in the case where they've actually had intercourse, then he should be exempt from both punishments if they ha if he brings the, the charge, it's proven false, but they hadn't had intercourse. Um, why initially did Rabbi Yehuda split the difference? So the Gemara here is going to sort of explore that by, by figuring out... Um, by figuring out precisely how to understand both positions of Rabbi Yehuda, both the one in our original Baraita and the one in this Baraita. Amar Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak, lokeh makat mardut midrabanan. That, in fact, when Rabbi Yehuda says that the husband is lashed in all cases, namely even in the case where they had not had intercourse, that's not talking about Torah lashes. That's talking about lashes of rebelliousness that the rabbis impose. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda, according to this read, um, is saying that, yes, in fact, the Torah does not impose its lashes, but we, the rabbis, are going to punish, uh, we're, we, the rabbis, are going to impose a punishment in the scenario of a false charge, with, even when they haven't had sex. Now, if you just flip the page, just to the very, very top of the next page, it's, uh, the, the, the DAF divisions are a little bit arbitrary based on printer's conventions, so conversations get split across DAPIM. Um, so we're just going to sneak in a little bit from the top of 46A. Rav Papa Amar, Mai Ba'al de Katane Hatam, Mamon. What, in fact, did Rabbi Yehuda mean when he said that the that, um, that, that if they had had sex, um, then the lashes are imposed. Mamon, he actually meant money. Now that's a little bizarre, right? He said lashes. Why is that a monetary payment? So there actually are several texts that are brought immediately here on the top of 46a that prove that, in fact, lashing can sometimes happen through money, and it's just sort of a metaphorical imposition. Um, so really, what just happened here... Um, the, the Amoraim here are debating um, whether or not Rabbi Yehuda, in fact, is imposing real lashes, even if rabbinic and not Torahitic, um, or whether he's just imposing an additional monetary fine. And I think you can sort of see that Amoraic debate as simply reframing the initial Tanaitic debate um, that we saw and placing it onto the position of Rabbi Yehuda. So just to sort of summarize what we saw, Sof Sof, today's DAF has presented another conversation about the effectiveness and appropriateness of various deterrents in light of the nature of the crime committed. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily DAF Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.